Hey, this morning, uh, I'm going to share with you uh, out of the book of Judges, the book of Judges. Judges is located in the Old Testament. And somebody mentioned to me a few weeks ago, they said, I have never been at a church like this with a pastor as young as you and have seen somebody preach out of the Old Testament as much as you do. And the reason why I do that is intentional. I'm proving this point, that anywhere that you cut the word of God, it bleeds the atoning blood of Christ. And from the very beginning of the Old Covenant in Genesis to the very end of the New Covenant in the book of Revelation, every book, every verse, every story, it communicates to us about the character of God, the ethic of his kingdom, and the imperative that is on his people. And so regardless of where you look in Scripture, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you can see, hear, ascertain, and discern the voice of God for what he would say to us in this hour. It's not just a book of history. It's a book inspired divinely by God that is authoritative in its text, that is living, breathing, and active, that prepares the man or woman of God to come into what scripture calls perfect maturity. And so we are people of the word. One of the reasons why I love the Old Testament is because it gives you an appreciation for the new. When you see how faithful and good God has been to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it gives you great confidence that he will also be faithful to a thousand generations. And how many of you know that one of the reasons why we can have a great appreciation of where we're at today is because we reflect on where we've been and what we've gone through to get to this point. That's the Old Testament. It shows us the development of nations, the creation of the world, the formation of governments, and how God superintends tends in the affairs of humanity, guiding, leading, and directing his people in the way that they should go, that they would never depart from it. The Old Testament communicates to us that there is not one situation too broken or hopeless or one people too far gone that his redemptive plan can't restore. Now, in the Old Testament, God ordered the nation of Israel through differing governmental systems. After the Hebrew children crossed over the Jordan River and into the promised land, the organization of God's people began. See, first there was judges, and then there was prophets, and then finally there was kings. Judges, they ruled the nation of Israel for 450 years. Prophets, they ruled for about 80 years. And then kings would rule the nation of Israel until it was taken over and destroyed. Each of them had a central purpose. Judges would take action and execute. Prophets would hear God and declare. And kings would build coalitions and legislate. God used judges to vanquish the enemies of Israel. God used prophets to confront the sin of the people. And God used kings to establish the government of God on the earth. See, judges would deal with threats around the nation of Israel like the Philistines. Prophets would confront sin within the nation of Israel like idolatry. For judges functioned as the hands of God. Prophets functioned as the mouth of God. And kings built structure for the people of God. And see, although we live in a different age and we belong to a different covenant, the pattern of God remains. 
for you still find these types of gifts and roles active in the kingdom of God today. Do you know that all across this room, there are people who function as the hands of God, the feet of God, and the voice of God. And see, watch what Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Why? Because we are many members, but we are one body and it is Christ who is our head. See, that's why you just can't attend church. You gotta belong to one because when you belong, you get to help build. And when you help build, you have a pride of ownership attached to the finished product. See, when you give in this offering, you are God's hands extended in the earth. When you pray for the sick, you are God's hands extended in this church. When you invite a friend or a neighbor, you are God's voice extended in this community. If you wanna feel connected to the body of Christ, find a need and meet it. Find a role and fill it. Find a person and serve them and just watch what God would do on behalf of your faith. No, don't wait for someone at church to tell you how you're gifted. Find something useful to do and keep doing it for the glory of God. Do you know what my first job in church ever was? It was running this ancient piece of Egyptian technology called an overhead projector. Now, come on, some of y'all old enough, you grew up in churches that had overhead projectors. Come on, we didn't have no LED screens. We didn't have no PowerPoint computers running everything digitally. You had an overhead projector set up on a chair in the middle of the altar, shining on a screen, and then you had a box of slides alphabetically ordered at your feet. And you just hope to God that the worship leader didn't get crazy and start singing a song that you didn't know the title to because if that were the case, the people of God would be lost because there won't be no lyrics on the overhead projector. Now, you know how I am, the way I worship. I like to move and jump and dance, wave my arms. I'll never forget the day I was worshiping at church. The overhead projector was on. I just got lost in the spirit. We moved on two, three songs. We still got the old lyrics on there. I'm just lost in the spirit. I started waving around my hands and I hit that projector. I knocked it so hard. There, it felt like there was an earthquake in the room. And you know what it was like with them overhead projectors. If they was on longer than about 20 or 30 minutes, it, it was the heat of 10,000 suns blazing <laughs> through that thing. But that's how we started. But I had to learn the art of recontextualizing my service, watch, so that I could see the spiritual in the midst of the ordinary. When somebody would say, oh, Russell, he's just the overhead projector man. I said, no, I'm not. I'm not just running an overhead projector. I'm helping lead the people of God into corporate worship by using cutting edge technology to publicly display psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know what it's like when you juice up your resume? I am a food delivery expert overseas. No, you work at Mickey D's. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't just helping out in kids ministry. I was training the next generation of spiritual warriors who will change their world for Christ. 
No, I wasn't just cleaning the foyer or the sanctuary. I was, I was creating an environment that would be conducive for families to encounter the presence of God by eliminating unnecessary distractions related to the cleanliness of the facility. No, I wasn't just giving my tithe and the offering. I was planting a financial seed into the kingdom of God. And as I honor God, God will honor me and provide everything that I'm in need of according to his riches in glory. No, we got the hands, the feet, and the voice of God in this room today. And friend, it looks a lot like me and you. If you were to read the Old Testament today, you'd hear stories about kings like Saul and David, prophets like Eli and Samuel, and judges like Gideon and Deborah and Samson. See, each role was unique and important, but today I want to tell you part of Samson's story. And I would venture to say that the portion of Scripture I'm going to preach on related to Samson's story will probably be the first time you've ever heard this text exegeted in a Sunday morning fashion. Judges 15, starting in verse 1, the Bible says this, After a while... In the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and he went to visit his wife. And he said, I'm going to my wife's room. But her father said, no, you're not. And won't let him go in. For her father said, I was so sure that you hated her that while you was gone, I gave her to your companion. But isn't her younger sister more attractive anyways? Take her instead. Now, wait just a minute. If you thought your family was toxic, Samson's got you beat. This is some next level Jerry Springer demonic business. Samson come home from a work trip. He bought his wife a nice bouquet of young goats. He tries to go in and see his wife. Dad stops him and says, no, while you was gone, I gave her away to somebody else. Why don't you take the younger sister? She prettier anyways. Now, can you imagine being the older sister reading this story? <laughs> Thanks, Dad. But I want you to notice something interesting about the text. When did the family drama come? When did all hell break loose? When did the marriage hit the rocks? When did the warfare really start? Oh, the Bible tells us in verse 1, at the time of harvest. I want you to see this today. Your struggle is greatest when your harvest is closest. For the enemy knows what's at stake. God knows what's at stake. The only question is, do you? See, if you're not careful, you'll end up living your life on the sidelines, never fully engaging with God because avoidance has become your strategy for not having to deal with the warfare associated with the harvest. The enemy hates the reward of the righteous. The enemy hates the harvest of God. The enemy hates when God's people prosper. So he will deploy his nastiest tricks to try and distract you when the harvest is about to begin. But see, if you're smart, you'll use the enemy's attempts at discouragement as a telltale sign. You're in the right place. You're serving the right God. And if you'll hang in there and refuse to give up, you, my friend, will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. See, I get a little insecure. I develop a complex if I'm not facing warfare. 
I'm like, does the enemy even care that I woke up this morning? Didn't he see our last viral sermon moment? Isn't he aware we're trying to take the whole region for Jesus? Now, I hope the devil breaks out into a panic attack when you wake up. I hope the devil has all anxiety and depression when the church of Jesus Christ gathers to worship. I hope we are on his radar because we are plundering hell and populating heaven. I'm telling you, warfare is about the best sign that you could ever have, that I'm pointed in the right direction, I'm doing the right stuff, and I'm making a difference that even even all of hell is taking note of. Now, see, Samson, he never had much luck with the ladies. In fact, the issue of relationships and sexuality would turn out to be his Achilles heel. And as Samson gets progressively dumber, the women he marries get progressively worse. The first was this Philistine woman from Judges 15. The second was a prostitute from Gaza. And the third was a woman named Delilah who would torment him daily until he found himself a prisoner of the Philistine people. See, when you read the history of Israel, their destruction always, always, always begins as an inside job. And it always involved the same two pitfalls. God's people would worship foreign gods and they would end up sleeping with foreign women. Now I sleep with a foreign woman. When I say foreign, I don't mean of a different ethnicity. I mean of a different spiritual substance. For the history of scripture is clear. If you worship fake gods, it'll lead you down the path of fake relationships and fake intimacy while you pretend to have fake fun on your way to a real hell. And why does God care who I sleep with? Because marriage and sex are a representation of covenant and blessing. Because my body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. Because whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Because your bodies are members of Christ himself. Because the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Because he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Because my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Because in him I live and move and have my being. And even as your poets say, we are his offspring. See, it is either God or it is culture who gets to set the parameters of the human experience. So you ought to decide this day whom you will serve. Do you know what happens when culture sets the parameters? Entire political parties, ideologies, and movements become dedicated to the sexualization of your children, the mutilation of their genitals, and the destruction of their identity. And then they have the audacity to call you an extremist when you take a stand against it. Hear me, friend, this is important. If you don't get victory over your struggles, they won't just disappear. They get passed down to the next generation, but by the time that your kids fight them, they've turned into giants. 
How do I know that? Because 200 years after this story is written, a shepherd boy named David finds himself fighting a Philistine giant named Goliath. The very people Samson was born to destroy become a foothold that wreaks havoc for generations to come. Let me just get real honest this morning. The reason you ought to get free from porn ain't even so much for you, it's for your kids. The reason you ought to break free from alcoholism ain't even so much for you, it's for the next generation. The reason you ought to make a strong commitment to following Christ, being in church and worshiping God is for what it does for your children's children. For the Bible says a righteous man leaves an inheritance even to the third generation. And I'm telling you, inheritance is what you leave, legacy is who you leave, and the people of God have a man from heaven to leave the next generation better than we found them a little further ahead on the journey than we were when we were their age. And I'm telling you, when you don't get victory over the struggle that you're facing in your life at this moment, it becomes a generational stronghold that one day your kids have to battle. And I'm telling you, our kids already got enough battles of their own. They already got their own giants that they got to slay. They already got their own proclivities and patterns that they've got to overcome. They've already got their own darkness that they need to light a candle and dissipate. They've already got enough warfare that God will equip them to overcome in their generation. I don't want my children fighting the battles that I ignored, swept under the carpet, that became giants that afflicted them for generations to come. So no, the mandate for us to get free isn't just about me living my best life. It's us having a multi-generational perspective on what God wants to do in the region. It's not just about me feeling better, me getting free, me getting breakthrough. It's about everybody who waits on the other side of my obedience because freedom, it echoes in the chambers of the human heart. And when a mom or dad gets set free, when a grandma or a grandpa gets set free, when an aunt or an uncle gets set free, when a leader or an influencer in a friend group gets set free, I'm telling you the sound of freedom begins to echo like a, like a noise across the waters. And all of a sudden it begins to reverberate in people's ears and they begin to think, man, if God did it for him, God can do it for me. And if God will do it for me, God will do it for those who come after me. Listen, friend, it may have ran in your family, but now it's running to you and you got a decision to make. Will I pass this trauma on to the next generation? Or will I allow God to have access to the deepest part of my heart so that I can get healed up, set free, set on the right course so I can give my kids a better shot than I had? Samson was born to destroy the Philistines. And yet 200 years later, a shepherd boy is fighting the battles that Samson should have won because of areas in his heart that were unsubmitted to the freedom that God offers. Now, all the people that God could have chosen, why on earth would he choose Samson? Well, in Judges 14, it tells us the reason why. The Bible says the Lord was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over Israel. The Lord was seeking an occasion or an opportunity to confront the Philistines. And that opportunity had a name. And his name was Samson. 
It's interesting, the word Philistine, it means to roll around in ashes or dust due to intense grief. It means this, the intense grief brought about by sudden destruction. I would venture to say today that God is looking for an opportunity to confront and overthrow the patterns in your life that have caused you intense grief and sudden destruction. It's so funny to me what the world calls religious bondage, God calls freedom. And what the world calls freedom, we know it leads to bondage. I'm telling you, God is the original designer. He holds the blueprint for your life. You were created in his image. He wasn't created in yours. So God knows best how to guard the areas of your heart, your mind, and your body so that by the time you make it through this life, you are not just the amalgamation of a bunch of open wounds that never got healed up or restored. You are continually transformed into his image and into his likeness. I would appeal to and Arts and lives of authors to write it in an inherent, without air, inspired and authoritative manner. And it has become the instruction for our lives. And you will either by the spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh or by the flesh put to No, I don't always understand it, but I serve the God who is seen beyond the curve and he knows best how to guard my heart against unneeded injury. Now, verse three, watch. Samson said, this time I, I can't even be blamed for everything I'm about to do to these Philistines. <laughs> Samson went out, he caught 300 foxes. He tied their tails together in pairs and he fastened a torch to each pair of tails. Then he lit the torches and let the foxes run through the grain fields of the Philistines until he burned all their grain to the ground. Samson is enraged. His wife's been given to another man. So he responds by capturing 300 stray foxes, tying them together, lighting a torch and letting them run wild. Now this is an artistic rendition of Judges 15, but I don't know about you. Samson looks way too happy in this moment. <laughs> See, where's PETA when you need them? They could have staged a protest. People don't know this. I've actually been a lifelong member of PETA. It's people for the eating of tasty animals, and I've been a member. <laughs> you ever seen them disclaimers at the end of movies? They'll say no animals were harmed in the production of this film. I promise you, 300 foxes were harmed in the production of Judges 15. But I want you to see Samson in this moment as a prototype of God's judgment against his enemies. Samson, not perfect, not by a long shot. Samson, his life in many ways reads like a Shakespearean tragedy. 
he ends up with his eyes gouged out, serving the Philistines that he was born to conquer. In many ways, his missteps and mistakes lead him to unforced heirs and unneeded pain over the course of his 20-year rulership for the nation of Israel. Yet by the time that you fast forward to Hebrews 11, Paul says he's a hero of the faith. And I want you to know, no matter how messy your marriage has been, no matter how many mistakes you've made, how much pain you've caused or you've been on the receiving end of, the God that we serve has the power to turn your mess into a testimony and in doing so, use you for great exploits in the earth. <laughs> Samson's lighting foxes on fire, sending them out into the Philistines' field. And in doing so, he is communicating and displaying and projecting the judgment of God against the wicked. Watch Psalms 33, the Lord frustrates the plans of the wicked. Isaiah 13, the Lord will punish the wicked for their iniquity. Proverbs 11, assuredly the evil man will not go unpunished, but the descendants of the righteous will be delivered. Job 34, God strikes the wicked in the public place. Job 20, the triumph of the wicked is temporary. Proverbs 10, the income of the wicked is punishment. You gotta hear me, friend. The Lord is gonna make the enemy pay for every last thing that he has stolen from your life, and only with your eyes will you see the reward of the wicked. See, the Lord uses the anger of Samson to exact judgment against the enemies of God. But it's important for you to see this. If you burn with righteous anger, God will partner with your pain to do violence against the enemy's camp. But if you burn with foolish anger, the enemy will exhaust your energy so you don't got strength to fight the necessary battles that are coming your way. The other day I was driving to uh, the Seattle campus and you know, when I drive, you know, for me, the speed limit is more of a suggestion. And I, I tend to camp about 10 to 15 miles above the suggested speed limit. And I'm driving, I'm going down Highway 9, connecting to 522, and I'm driving. I'm going a good 10 to 15 minimum over the speed limit. And all of a sudden, I notice in my rearview mirror this little rattle trap of a car, two-door Hyundai. And it's riding my tail like nobody's business. I kid you not, it looked like a toaster with four wheels attached to it. I didn't even know it could go that fast. And I'm looking at my review mirror, and this guy's cussing me out and flipping me off and all sorts of crazy things. And all of a sudden, it kind of rose up inside of me. I said, I'm about to pull off on the side of this road and deal with this Philistine. <laughs> but see, my problem is I'm on my way to church. The Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, come unto the house of the Lord. I'm trying to stay in that right spirit. And the Lord just kind of in his gentle way, he just remind me. He just tell me, Russell, if you spend your energy on the wrong stuff, you won't have any energy left for the right stuff. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in battle for the pulling down of strongholds because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Now, trust me, there are things worth getting upset over. 
How about the mental health crisis in our communities? How about the sexual confusion in our schools? How about the antichrist legislation in the halls of our government? How about addiction and disease? No, this is not some nice little safe, quiet church, sing along hour on a Sunday morning. We operate with a violence on Sunday because we are fighting all of hell come Monday morning. And you gotta save your energy to fight the good fight because the good fight is the one that you win and we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus for we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and one of the chief tactics of the enemy is to get you so exhausted and tired that by the time the real battle begins you got nothing left to fight with and I'm telling you we need supernatural spiritual strategy in this season to not get distracted by lower level stuff I don't got to attend every argument I'm invited to I don't got to show up to every fight that I'm invited to. I am saving what God has placed in my life to focus on the most important things, the advancement of his kingdom and the blessing of his people. Now watch verse nine. Now the Philistines retaliated by setting up camp in Judah and spreading out near the town of Lehi. The men of Judah asked the Philistines, why are you attacking us? The Philistines replied, we've come to capture Samson. We've come to pay him back for what he did to us. So the Bible says 3,000 men of Judah, they went down to get Samson. They said to Samson, don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? What are you doing to us? And Samson replied, oh, I only did to them what they did to me. But the men of Judah told him, we've come to tie you up, hand you over to the Philistines. All right, Samson said. Just promise that you won't kill me yourselves. You got to see what's happening here. The men from the tribe of Judah, watch. They are Samson's own Hebrew brethren. They go to tie him up and hand deliver him to the Philistines. Not unlike the brothers of Joseph who tie him up and throw him in a pit and sell him into slavery. Oh, we don't want any trouble, Samson. You're making the rest of us look bad. You better not open your church, Samson. We're gonna report you to the government. You better not rock the boat, Samson. You better not confront the issue, Samson. You better not be politically incorrect, Samson. Listen, friend, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war and I'm telling you, it is time to fight. I hate the doctrine of appeasement. I hate defeated theology. Oh, don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? Don't you realize we're only grasshoppers in their sight? Don't you realize there's giants in the land? Don't you realize we're in the Pacific Northwest? Stop telling me this is impossible. If by faith, Moses can refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, then by faith, I refuse to say this region is lost. By faith, I refuse to say this task is too difficult. By faith, I refuse to say God can't reach every lost person in this region. For the Philistines in your life only have the authority you keep giving them. It's time to declare the opposite reality and watch God establish it in your midst. 
And let me end here. It's where it gets good. Verse 14. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came towards him shouting. But the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He broke the ropes around his arms and hands as if they was a burnt thread. Can I tell you still today, it is the spirit of God coming upon the people of God that becomes our competitive advantage in the world around us. They thought they had you dead to rights, but the spirit of God came powerfully upon you. They thought there was no way through, but the spirit of God came powerfully upon you. They thought they was going to take your land and take your marriage and take your family and take your finances but the Spirit of God came powerfully upon you and you broke every rope that held you back. Why? Because the greatest argument against death is an unfinished assignment and we've got unfinished work in the Northwest. Now watch. It said, now he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. He grabbed it and he struck down a thousand men. And Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys out of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Now, I don't understand how this works. Did Samson make him take a number and get in line and then one by one just whack him over the head with a donkey's jawbone? I'm not sure. But I'll tell you what, one translation translates this verse like this. Samson said, with the jawbone of the asses, I have turned the Philistines into a pile of masses. I'm not sure the imagery that comes to mind when you hear the term jawbone of a donkey, but this was no small weapon. Look at this ugly thing. Now put it back up on the screen. Look at this ugly thing. A jawbone of a donkey. It looked like he need braces there on his front teeth. <laughs> this ain't no small weapon. Imagine getting whacked upside the head and having a donkey tooth lodged in your cranium. <laughs> now this is what's so interesting to me. This dead donkey became provision in the life of Samson to defeat the enemies of God. A donkey had to die at just the right place and decompose just at the right moment and be exposed to the elements at just the right angle in order for Samson to find it at just the right time. Don't tell me God don't have some jawbones laying in the thicket of your life. Some resources and relationships and revelation just waiting for the man or the woman of God to pick it up and turn it in to a weapon and watch what the Bible says. The spirit of the Lord, it came powerfully upon Samson. That word spirit in the Hebrew is ruach. It means wind. And that word powerfully in the Hebrew means mighty rushing. And so the wind of God, like a mighty rushing force came upon Samson and he did great exploits for the Lord. Do you remember where else a mighty rushing wind came upon people? 
and empowered them by the anointing to do great exploits for God. Here's the beauty of the new covenant. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come on certain people for certain activities for certain dispensations of time. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit takes residence inside of your heart. He doesn't just anoint you for ministry. He anoints you for life, for family, for marriage, for business. Everywhere you go, He's already been. He leads you in the way that you should go that you would never depart from it. He is the lamp and the light upon your path and His Spirit fills you 24-7 around the clock. For when the heavens opened in the New Testament, they never closed. And when the Spirit of God was poured out, Peter says, this is what Joel prophesied. In the last days, God says, I will pour my Spirit out on all flesh, sons and daughters, old and young, Jew and Gentile, for all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Come on, watch you stay standing as we close. Listen, listen, listen. You have a mighty rushing wind filling your heart in this very moment. And it's the Spirit of God that comes upon you to do mighty exploits. You want to see the power of God's Spirit break out in your life? Find a mission worth giving your life for. Get yourself in trouble and then watch God show up in strength. Make it easy on you and make it tough on Him. And my God will supply everything you're in need of according to His riches and glory. I believe that this is an hour by which God is raising up voices like Samson and Deborah in the church again. We are not sitting on the sidelines as passive observers of culture or just complaining about how dark the Northwest is getting. No, with the sword of the Lord and his anointing that fills our life, we're gonna do something about the chaos in our streets. We're gonna do something about the spiritual death in our churches. We're gonna do something about empty buildings that used to be filled with life all across this community. We're gonna do something about it. You ought to harden your resolve. You ought to fix your eyes on Zion. You ought to set your faces of flint towards Jerusalem and refuse to be moved. You ought to take up the weapons of your warfare. You ought to get dressed up in the armor of God. You ought to allow that spiritual fruit to develop and those spiritual gifts to flow because there has never been a time like right now. So let us seize the day and with God on our side and His Spirit in our hearts, let us plunder hell and populate heaven and do violence against the Philistines in the Pacific Northwest. We are in a generational war for the soul of the nation. And our battle is not fleshly, but it is spiritual. So let us gird ourselves with truth. And in doing so, allow God to work through us in incredible ways to see his kingdom come and his will be done in this place even as it's being done in heaven. Father, today I pray for my friends all across this room, all of our friends who are watching via live stream around the world. Oh God, I pray that you would stir in them a spirit of courage and boldness to confront the darkness that they have been scared to address.
to break agreement with the bondage that has afflicted their family line for generations. To see the Lord high and lifted up all around them, providing resource in their time of need. That you would train and tune the trust of our heart and point it in the direction of heaven for where our help comes from. Oh God, I pray that you would raise up a righteous standard in this region. And that in doing so, we would see breakthrough, we would see kingdom advancement, and we would see restoration for every year that the enemy has stolen from the people of God. Oh God, may it be true in us and may it be true through us. We pray these things now in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, all God's people said amen.